Bonjour et bienvenue à un nouvel épisode de notre podcast uh, « Pas plus de défis ». Je suis Ben Rothenberg et cette belle voix que vous entendez de Californie appartient à Courtney Nguyen. Bonjour Courtney. <laughs> Seriously, that was impressive. I, I try, I try. I don't know, I didn't understand a word of it. I maybe recognized my name. That was my cue. As we've discussed though, as we've discussed, your Vietnamese-ness does not give you a, you know, a predisposition towards French or anything. Exactly. I, yeah, I get very defensive and angry and all together just pissed off every time I hear French. It's in my blood. Very fair. Uh, well, <laughs> yes, what I was saying there is welcome to another episode of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg. She's Courtney Nguyen. We are about midway through the French Open. It feels like it's been a pretty long first week, I gotta say, just because it did start on Sunday, according to this Friday evening, and it's a lot of stuff, a lot, there have been a lot of matches. I'm not sure if anything huge has happened, quote-unquote, but it's been a fairly full week, I think. Yeah, it has felt long and empty, honestly. Because they're not attributes you want, but... Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, you know, I mean, it bodes well for the second week. Definitely. You know, that we aren't having, you know, earth-shattering upsets and just absolute chaos in the draw and things like that. And so, you know, in that way, I'm definitely looking forward to the second week, but there is a part of me that kind of just wants to hit fast forward to get to the quarterfinals. Yeah. Uh, next round, not so great. Yeah. It'll turn around. Hope so. We've got a bunch of questions from people, so maybe we'll try to just jump to questions right away to get you guys included here, because we do like using as many questions as possible when we ask for them. Nikila asks us, what is the match of the tournament so far, and which player has impressed you the most? So let's do one men's and women's for that, Courtney. Who do you got? Uh, ladies first. Let's hog the stage with the ladies for a bit. I was going to say, am I the hog or am I the cow? No. No. Moo, moo cow, moo cow. Well, I mean, I guess match of the tournament for the ladies for me would be Venus and Ursula. There is a part of me that thinks that that will be regardless of what happens in this tournament, unless there's like an epic final, that it's going to just be the match of the tournament for me. I think that it was dramatic in the ways that I personally like when I watch tennis matches that, uh, you know, I don't necessarily always when I watch a match for my own personal off the clock time, I don't always watch it for X's and O's. I really could care less about that. I like kind of the human drama of a match and you really can't get more than what uh, those two women delivered in the first round on Sunday. I mean, to open play of all days too. Yeah. That was a really, really good opener. Set the bar high, maybe too high. It really did. It really did. And it was just, it was a poignant match to me. I mean, I think it was just very moving to watch Venus Williams, you know, multiple slam champ, a legend in her own right, who doesn't have to play for money, who doesn't have to do any of those kind of cynical play for all the cynical reasons that athletes play. Just go out there and just compete. And in a way that I hope all the kids are watching, like that's how it's done. And uh, so that was inspiring in a lot of ways and and really quite an emotional match to watch. I would agree. And I think really, if you're going to lose a big star, who still is, let's remember, the second highest slam count of all active players, Venus at seven. If you Mm -hmm. are going to lose her on the first day, do it like that, you know with this epic match that's on NBC, I believe, the whole time. It was just really a good stage for her, and even if it's not her best surface, and even if she'd have to pull out doubles afterwards with her back problems, and even if maybe it put her in worse shape for Wimbledon, because I was saying on a preview episode that I kind of was surprised she was in this tournament at all with Wimbledon coming up and her back issues, but hopefully just one match won't take too much out of her. And also, all credit to Ursula as well. Ursula played great. That was the best I've ever seen her play. 
Yeah, that was. Hands I didn't up. see her match against Fitzmaier that she lost. Um, I think don't even think it was on a TV court, but yeah, that was really good from her, and she really did look like she will be able to, uh, if not you know, equal her sister at least you know, be a relevant part of the conversation. She's not, you know, Patrick McEnroe or whoever else a much shorter sibling would be. Oh, goodness, no. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's a thing, and she will, she will go down as a thing. And so, you know, in these final kind of years of her career, however long it ends up lasting, you know, for her to kind of play with a tremendous amount of dignity, and even, you know, it's a first-round loss at a slam, but it ne- I don't know, watching it, it didn't feel like it to me, and, and maybe I just wasn't as down on her. Oh, I I wasn't. I was actually talking about Ursula. Oh, sorry, Ursula. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. No, absolutely. <laughs> I was like, what? No, I would never compare <laughs> Venus Williams to Patrick McEnroe. Yes. Yes. Well, good. <laughs> ben. I mean, hopefully Ursula's a thing. I mean, I hope that she believes. I've always thought that she's much better than her ranking ever kind of puts yeah, her she at. She was great in Dean Wells when she beat Sloan and then I mm-hmm. think Jamie Hampton, I want to say. She was very thoughtful. Yes. So. Yeah, she yeah. was. Men's side matches tournament so far. For me, it's another first rounder. It's Malfi's Spurditch. How about you? You know, I really kind of, in my, I, I really liked Ernest and Gael a little okay. bit more. Explain. Um, even though it wasn't a five set match and it was four sets and whatever, but third set was just really interesting to watch to me and obviously kind of turned the entire match. I mean, just some of the, just, the, the power that Golbis was generating was just really cool to watch. And, you know, and, and for the most part, they both really kind of stepped up. And it wasn't like the highest quality that both of them could play at any time. But given the circumstances and just kind of how much they all wanted it, I don't know, I found it to be a much more entertaining match to watch. But that's probably because I find Golbis to be more entertaining to watch than Burdick, even though I like watching Burdick. Yeah. But there's kind of an antiseptic manner about his matches that I kind of even when I'm watching it I'm, I I don't recognize when the big moments are coming okay. Al- almost because he's, he's just kind of he just kind of does his thing I don't know that's totally fair for me the Golbus match the Golbus Monfils match was disappointingly businesslike I kind of think for the beginning and then kind of completely sort of fizzled in the fourth I put it on YouTube they were like giggling yeah, at each other and stuff it was that was a little weird although appropriate for Obviously, the two people we have involved, anyone's going to have a match where, you know, they play three great sets and then giggle through the fourth. It should be Golbus and Malfi's. Yeah, so they seem like they get along swimmingly and are kindred spirits of some sort. And, uh, yeah, that was fun. And it's just sort of ridiculous that out of that section, uh, which had Burdich and Golbus and Malfi's, that section yields Tommy Robredo. Oh, round. but you knew that I was going to happen. That's sort of a, when you see that result, though, it has an inevitability. Yeah, exactly. Especially Malfis. Having Malfis get through both those matches, I think of the three guys in that little mini section, I would have given him the worst odds of making it out. So kudos to him for, for doing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he credit to Malfis that even though I find him to be an absolutely infuriating player to not watch. I mean, he's kind of fun to watch regardless of what he's doing. But I have to think, like, as a fan, he must be so infuriating oh, because yeah. he just can't back it up, you know? And I feel like an FFT, pre- like, executive. He has to drive you crazy. Oh, for sure, for like sure. FFT development kind of person, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do not do what this guy does, even though what he does is awesome. But, I mean, thank goodness for him because if not for his run, it really would have been an empty first week yeah. in Paris. There would have been nothing nothing that would have been really notable after the Venus match on Sunday, you know? So I think that that's been, you know, what has kept this tournament afloat. It's what's kept it relevant. It seems like I think just kind of headline wise has been his win over Burdick and then his win over Golbus and just kind of the general let's all fall in love with Gael Monfils again 
like love fest for the like the kind of first yeah. three days of the tournament, which is good. I mean, you know, that's a nice positive thing to have, especially for a French tournament. So it's a bummer that he's out. But, you know, I think that I, I know for me in the back of my head, like after he went full five, after having, you know, a two set lead on Thomas Burdick in the first round that he wasn't going to go far. No. You just can't do that. And Malfis is always, I mean, thinking that result, I even call it, you know, Gale, scenic root Malfis. And he just never <laughs> has played efficient tennis. And you need to be efficient to win Grand Slams or to make decently deep runs. First I mean, that was, he was up 2-0 sets wise on Vibrato, wasn't he? And uh, lost that mm-hmm. in five. Four match points. So, four I mean, match that's points. sort of bad luck on some level when you have four match points and you lose. You can't be considered that much of a loser. That's that's a very Wozniacki way to put it, but you know what I mean. You were so close, you might as well have won. <laughs> that would have been what exactly. Wozniacki would So I sort say. of endorse that on some level. Federer says that too, when he has match points and loses Djokovic. He says, you know, he does. Oh, I, come in here and, I had to come in here and it's explain a, a loss when I had match points. That's horrible for me to have to do. Like, okay, Roger. So that's sort of my feeling on it. Robredo playing well. I mean, but if Almagro comes out of that section, this, that would have, would have been such a flop. I mean, and that's the Federer half. I mean, good no. Lord, he couldn't have it easier. He couldn't. Could not. Get Simone, then likely Sanga, and then one of the following four people. Tommy, Nico, Kando, or Ferrer. Well, on some level, even Anderson might be the toughest of those guys. So, I mean. Yeah, based on current yeah, form. Anderson clobbered uh, Ronich. That was impressive. I, I, do think, I do think if anybody's going to stop Federer from reaching the final, it's going to be Sanga. I think Sanga's been pretty solid in mm-hmm. Paris. So He's been saying the right things, too, like in press. his You know, last year he made a lot of waves because he basically said no Frenchman is ever going to win the French Open. Which was stupid. Which was stupid. Now, this year his comments have been much more positive and really about embracing the pressure, wanting to win at Roland Garros. And I think very most importantly, in terms of embracing the pressure, I think he gave an interesting quote where he said, I know that the crowd, they want me to win. They're supporting me to win. And I think that that's, you know, a different, you know, that's kind of a switch that has to flick in your head when you realize that like, that thing that you feel is pressure is actually support. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not like you're going to let these people down. It's the opposite. Like, they want you to do well. They're not, like, watching they're you to on fail. Your side. I mean, they're it, on your side. I would it's... love for Sam Sosa to say that some <laughs> January in the future. I'm not sure I see it happening, but I would love for it to happen. But Andy Murray says it about Wimbledon. Yeah, no, Andy Murray gets it. Andy Murray totally gets it, and I really, really respect him for that, of just kind of Billy saying, you know, I love playing at Wimbledon because everybody wants me to do well. And let's face it, that's not really the case anywhere else else so and sometimes even when you play Federer it's not it's kind of 50 50 at Wimbledon but but yeah so so I I would agree with you Saga could definitely pull off uh, the upset in the quarters this is a segue you're talking about Sanga being interesting and press and the guy who we talked about a little bit earlier briefly Ernest Gulbis who actually incidentally was the answer to a question I posted on our Twitter for no challenges remaining at NCR underscore tennis Posted a class photo and asked if anyone could spot the tennis player in there. And it was indeed Ernest Gulbis in the front row, far left. So congratulations to Darina DZ who got that one right. Yeah, Gulbis made some waves saying kind of the same things that he said before. But it's just a slam, so it gets magnified for how the media cycle works. So the same thing mm-hmm. with Stakovsky taking the picture. Same thing right. he did in Munich, but now he does it at, on a slam show court and it's big news and he changes his twitter profile pick to it and he gets fined two thousand dollars because you know complains so much about prize money and then throws it away anyway Golbus 
was saying that he thinks the big four are boring in interviews, and this caused a wonderful thread of people there to write stories about for days, or at least use as an angle or a, or a lead. Because it's been a dead week. It has been a dead week, and so <laughs> there's been a lot of people trying to write stories either yeah. agreeing with Golbitz or using trying to refute his theory. Courtney, are the big four boring? Well, first of all, I think I just wanted to make this clear in terms of like my where I'm coming at it from because the interview was given to the keep this was the Golbus interview that is now blowing everything up yeah. and it was an interview conducted in english that was translated to french obviously because the keep is a french newspaper and then translated back into english for english people to understand what Golbus said right and everybody kind of has a different translation as yeah. to what he said in english right so nuance gets lost and i think that a lot of the golvis's comments were taken out of context and i say this because i did interview him in rome right and for q a and i was very conscious when i was transcribing the q a to make sure because there was a lot of you know i would tr- write it out and look on paper and re- and kind of look at it and say well that's not going to convey what I heard him say, you know, when you're sitting in front of somebody and his, he's very expressive and, and the way that he speaks really kind of conveys meaning right. to his words. He's very fluent, but he's not very sort of, he's not a Sharapova. He doesn't say things in soundbite foolproof forms where they always right. exactly how she wants him on print. Golbus doesn't have quite that precision when he's talking. Right. Exactly. So, you know, in terms of this thing, like, as you said, the quote was that they're boring in press which is, if you look at the entire Lakeep, at least from where I read it, that's what I think that he says, is that he's talking about them in press, yeah. not in, like, life. He's not saying Novak Djokovic is a boring human being. It'd be hard to back up. Yeah, it'd be pretty, and he's good friends with Novak. He just wouldn't say that. He just wouldn't. And when he was talking to me in Rome, he said specifically, because he had kind of a sentence where he said, they're boring. I mean, not as people, but they're boring in interviews. Yeah. Like, that's how he put it to me. But he did stop himself to correct himself to say, like, not as people. I'm just talking about their interviews. But anyways, yeah, I mean, they give, you know, the same answers all the time. It's not their fault. They get asked the same questions all the time. And that's not the press's fault either. Like, I saw a lot of kind of comments like, whoa, like the stupid press asks the same questions. Like about, oh, what do you think about your next opponent? And, you know, talk about your match. I was like, well, there are people in there who are in, who write for AP, who write for Reuters, who write the wire story. Those are the questions that they need. Like, beat writers don't need them. But like, if you're writing about a match, that's what you need. Please talk about your next opponent. And they know that. And so they go through the drill and it's fine. And I've talked about a little bit before. I mean, tennis is lucky in that we get a lot of chances to escape that rut. Because a lot of sports don't. Right. When you were covering hockey. You're covering hockey or any people who do like football, American football. I assume it's probably similar in soccer. Everything is very granular. It's always, what about this next match? This this aspect of that match? You know, how are you feeling? Injuries, so on. And it's just nothing big picture. Tennis players get the opportunity pretty much every single press conference to at some point expound on some general issue. They're all philosophers. And yeah, and that doesn't happen in other sports. So people should true. be pretty satisfied with the press core and the questions tennis gets. Obviously, there are some that are mundane, and obviously there are some that are repetitive. Repetitive ones are the ones that are the problem. I mean, when Wozniacki gets asked about deserving number one every single presser for a year, that's not good. But right. when she gets asked about her next match, even if it is against, you know, I don't know, Letitia Chan, and it won't be interesting. And she says, oh, it'll be a hard match. I'll go out and play there. And that question, you know, someone needs that out there. So understand. Yeah, someone, needed, the someone needed the quote, you yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is the process. A lot of it is understanding that, like, this isn't a traveling press corps that goes with them all the time, and it's just, like, 
us, it's, you know, you're going to get the same questions about, hey, Waz, like, why haven't you won a slam yet? And are you a legit number one? And how's that golfer you're dating? Because you go, yeah, because you go from city to city and you get local media and you get new people in that room who haven't asked that question and who don't know what the answer is. And, you know, it's frustrating on every, I mean, I think on everyone's part, but it's kind of just how it is. I mean, which is why it's interesting when you do occasionally get a tournament where it's sort of just the core people like this happened to us. It's happened to some degree in Cincinnati in, mm-hmm. in matches where there's a lot of core people there and not too much local press. And the local press who are there are actually, I think, really pretty good for the most part in Cincinnati. Also in Istanbul, for example. I mean, mm-hmm. in the room. It yeah, was, Istanbul, it, it for was, sure. It was me, you, and Matt Cronin. Um, and Linda Pierce and, Linda Pierce and Neil Hill. Harmon. Yeah. Those are all people who, you know, aren't going to ask the sort of beginner questions. So that's, that's nice when that happens for us. And maybe for the players too, but yeah. Anyway, Courtney, ultimatum, yes or no, are the big four boring? In press? Yeah. Yeah. I can't say no because there are a lot of times where I just don't go to their press conferences because I, think, I know exactly what's going to happen, which is unfortunate and not good on my part. I'm admitting it. I think that they all, I think what Golbis means by boring is diplomatic and they all are that. Joe especially is really seeming to try to have matured in press and be sort of a statesman for the game. And I guess Rhea maybe on some level too. And he is sort of the most polished and press of all of them now. And you might be able to mm-hmm. use to say that about Federer. But Federer has this sort of undercurrent <laughs> of occasional bitchiness which seeps through and sort of backhanded, you know, stuff at people. Where I actually have come to really love Roger's pressers. <laughs> Federer, if you get him talking about something, it looks like the right thing where he has an opportunity to diss somebody or something, or usually somebody. Usually, like some other player, he'll he'll do it. He won't. He'll take when it. his greatness or superiority is challenged yes. by anyone other than Rafa. He takes great umbrage, yeah, when you, but in a very classy Swiss way. <laughs> <laughs> when you bring up something like, oh, you know, Gilles Simone in your next match, this is it's not happen. I don't think. But let's just pretend that Gilles Simone in your next match, you had uh, you lost him back in Madrid uh, indoors, and uh, we think about that. And he might say, yeah, well, that was a tough match, but you know, I. Uh, He's played so many terrible matches since then, and and I'm not really worried about it. Not quite in those exact words, but that's sort of the tone. I mean, he'll bring up somebody's weaknesses. He has a pretty good burn book on everybody else on the tour. He knows when everyone has failed. He'll remind you of some obscure, you know, Paris-Bercy match this person choked away. Yeah, seriously, it's incredible. uh, Or, like, he'll say something like, oh, well, didn't he... I mean, Simone, yeah, it'll be a tough match. You know, he's a good player, but, I mean, he's going to be tired. What, didn't he just play five sets, like, in the first in the first uh, round? Yeah, I haven't done that. So, <laughs> does it, like, that's kind of how he does it. It's great. It's tremendous. It's fascinating. It's an art. I love it. So, I mean, and the other one, uh, Murray, Murray sort of is less consistent in press. I think he can do a little bit of that or give, you know, be surprisingly interesting on some answers and then shut down on others. I think it sort of depends on his mood a little bit. Um, it does depend on his mood. But he definitely but he's, can be boring. He can't, well, his tone is boring, but I've often found that, like, his actual transcripts are quite interesting. Right, yeah, he's more interesting in print than he is in person. Like, the substance of what he says is always like, huh, that's interesting, because he's well thought out, and, yeah. you know, and obviously he's, like, one of the few players that, like, you can ask about, like, the women's tour and stuff, so that's always, like, an interesting angle you can hit with him. He was really good when I asked him about, like, the gay questions about, you know, an, an open tennis player in the male locker room and stuff like that he was really great so i so murray has kind of become one of my go-to guys like to ask yeah speaking of andy murray what do you make of his role in garros so far amazing (laughs) 
revelatory. He is the best tweeter in the world. He, Andy Murray, if you have not been paying attention, during his time off with injury, he appears to have discovered the internet for the first time. <laughs> like, legit discovered it. Like, he's like, whoa, YouTube, this is crazy. Have you seen all this stuff on YouTube, you guys? YouTube is, like, everything. I search for stuff, and it's there. And then there's stuff on the sidebar, and that's pretty great, too. I mean, it's like... <laughs> It's really like, you know, an alien from a foreign planet. Because Murray really is a pretty tunnel vision guy with his uh, his tennis. Right. There's not a whole lot of outside interest. He does not, he's not, you know, having, selling stuff on HSN to say the least. This is true. Yeah, so for him it's been funny and he's been tweeting some good stuff. So if you aren't following Andy Murray, maybe you unfollowed him during his pretty long hiatus from Twitter. Feel free to refollow because he's been delivering. I think I did, like, I counted up that, like, coming into, like, the draw of Roland Garros that Andy Murray had tweeted this year something like 20 20 times 20 something times up until then like just for this year and then in the last five days he's tweeted like 17 times yeah <laughs> so he is on a binge yeah no he's he is bored and it's tremendous yeah yeah so Murray that's Murray and then Let's get to the fourth member of the big four, who we haven't talked about yet for the press purposes. And this one person had a very interesting press conference on Friday, very long press conference on Friday. And it's kind of nice also because the French Open is the only tournament, I believe, definitely the only slam, where they will translate and transcribe the foreign language portions of press, which is awesome for press, for English-speaking people who don't want to sit through or necessarily understand the entire Spanish portion. So... Rafael Nadal was asked about the schedule that came out and was making it clear that it wasn't easy to play in the morning and it wasn't easy to uh, be early and have his match delayed by rain. So then he was asked about what his position with the schedule was in the rain and it's basically his schedule was, was up third on Long Lawn and the match that he was going to play the winner of, which was between Lucas Russell and Fabio Fanini, I believe, was second up. That match got to finish. Nadal's match did not get to start. And the reason, uh, apparently, Russell and Fanini were put second up is because Russell is also scheduled to play doubles that day. And that's just standard practice when someone's in the doubles draw. They play their singles matches earlier so they can get doubles in the same day. You'll see Serena do it at slams where she has doubles also. You know, whoever else is playing both. They'll just play earlier more often because that's just how it works. So Nadal's asked about this, and I'm going to... You know, read this in quotes, just pieces, because it's extremely long. It's very long. <laughs> very long. <laughs> he had some thoughts. He had some thoughts. I'm not going to do an act. I'm not going to do an impression of him because good. That would just not be. It's too. It's too long to keep it up for. Basically, <laughs> I would if it was short. Nadal says, "I think everybody knows in this room that the schedule of yesterday was wrong. That's the real thing. I don't know if the director of the tournament supervisors. I cannot play third after men's and girls when our possible opponent plays second after girls." That's not fair. And today I was playing almost three hours on court and my opponent was watching the TV in the locker room. Rafa continues, so if you told me that's fair, I say that's not fair. Only thing you can do is be positive, smile, and try to win my match and try to be ready for tomorrow. But that's not the right thing. This is not right. And I hope they accept the mistake because girls play best of three. For them, it's a normal tournament. Even if they play Grand Slam and all the matches of the career and all the tournaments, they play best of three. Doesn't make, it's not a change. If they have to play two days in a row, it's not a big deal. For us, it's completely different. That's the excuse, that the excuse they told me was because Russell has to play doubles. I am sorry, but that's a joke. You want to have <laughs> one more week to play doubles if you want to play doubles. Why do you want to protect a player who has to play doubles? So I'm going to write myself on a doubles draw and then I have the priority to play? I think that's, well, that's not the right excuse to make a schedule like this. I don't want to keep talking because it seems like I'm the bad guy saying that. 
but that's not the real thing. Everybody here knows that's not right. <laughs> so that's just one answer, and he brings it up kind of again. But that's enough for us, Courtney. We've, mm-hmm. we've talked on the show before, in previous episodes, I think during his South American swing, about Rafael Nadal's proclivity right. for complaining mm-hmm. and the concept of Difa. Rafa what, fears. Rafa yeah, as our... <laughs> We got a question. We were trying to come up with other names for uh, Diva Rafa once we handle Diva Rafa was taken. And one of them we came up with was Rafa, that we suggested some sort of Beyonce comparison. Anyway, so we got a question from on email, which is a unique mode of questioning for us. We don't get a lot of those. If you ever want to email us. We appreciate us, it. Yeah, if you ever want to email us questions, that's always appreciated. Our email address is simply no challenges remaining, all one word, at gmail.com. Anyway, we got a question from Stephanie Mannion who asks us, are Rafa Fierce's complaints about the schedule justified? Would love for y'all to talk about what you know of how schedules are made, and maybe your thoughts on your thoughts and opinions on how unfair Nadal's scheduling was or wasn't, from his point of view or not. What could prioritize in that scheduling if it wasn't 100% about, a fa- about fairness to Nadal? And three, if in the end you think the schedule was fine or could have been better. So, Courtney, what do you make of this whole uh, brouhaha? You know, I see where Rafa's coming at. I mean, I actually think that his logic is pretty sound insofar as he was scheduled behind. So the two co- two matches that were on Long Lan ahead of his were Lucas Puyol and Grigor Dimitrov, which, let's face it, I mean, I know Puyol is French, but that does not need to be on Long Lan. No. Okay. The second match was Beck Azarenka, Annika Beck Azarenka, and then it was Rafa versus Klezan. Over on three, it was... The first match was Yankovic Ruza, and the second match was Rosol and Fognini. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's the landscape. Now I can see Rafa looking at the schedule, and obviously with the rain delay, and everybody knew that it was going to be raining that day, and that there was a threat <clears throat> that the second two matches of every court was going to be washed out. Like, why would they put Puyol and Dimitrov on Long Lawn? You could have just moved that. If you want it on Long, fine. Put put it last. Or move it on to another court. but Why, why should Dimitrov get a worse uh, schedule with the rain than Nadal, though? Yeah, that's fair. Although he was going to play Djokovic, and Djokovic is on second on Chatrier. So, right, you know, so, and so parallel. So, he's, yeah, those are parallel. I mean, I think the biggest thing was trying to get things parallel. But the one thing that I will say that I think with Rafa's comments that I did kind of respond to in terms of like being sympathetic towards it okay. is his point about about the women playing best of three that this is no different for the women than it is at a regular tournament for them so the argument I, I mean the connection or the inference there is basically like you can push women's matches it's not that big of a deal in the same way you can push doubles matches like don't tell me that you had to schedule it this way because Russell had to play doubles like you could just push Russell to doubles another day I mean, it's doubles. So I kind of like, I don't know. I was pretty sympathetic to that argument because it is true. I mean, fact of the matter is, like, as much as people want to make a big deal about, oh, how much rest the, the women get, you know, between matches, it's like, well, at a premier tournament, they play like five matches in six days. Yeah. And here they're playing seven matches over 14. I don't really think the women have much to complain about there. No, I, I, I would just say, although obviously everyone knows my soapbox on this, I would say, that Rafa should be complaining that he wants to play best of three too. Yes, anyway. of course. Yes. But um but yeah, but so for the best of five, they should be prioritized. They should be liked in terms of giving them rest. That's only fair for the competition. It's best for the tournament. But I did just think it was funny, just kind of how like, whoa, you just went off there, Mr. Nadal, like on this question. He just monologued for like half of a page. It was incredible. It's pretty incredible. I think what the I think the solution should have been putting just using more singles courts, getting as many matches on early as possible. Yeah, put 
put Dimitrov and Lukas Puyil on uh, some other court and put try to get as many singles matches on the first two as possible because there's a lot of courts that just aren't being used for singles right now. They're being used for doubles only. And in a sort of hunker down for the rain situation, you know, obviously singles should get priority because doubles can be finished in the second week for the most part. Right. And so rest is, rest is not really an issue for doubles. Yeah, I think that was what the solution should have been. I did think the little line that Nadal had about, oh, I should just sign up for doubles and then I get a good schedule too. It's <laughs> so it's it's very very funny. That was that was like super awesome Rafa Fierce snark. Like oh real, like it was just very like oh really. That was like Real Housewives and Mallorca stuff. <laughs> it right was it was SNL like Polar and Seth Meyers doing like Rafa's own like oh really like yeah. sketch. Like, really? You're going to prioritize doubles over me? Really? Really? So yeah. what do you make of Rafa's, and, and sort of in the through the lens of Ernest saying that everyone's boring in press, what do you make of Rafa's continual, year-long, really, willingness to complain about stuff? That it's sort of, and sort of admittedly, things that are very self-interested. He's not complaining about big-picture things. He's saying, I was wrong. And for kind of no reason, because does he really think that it matters that Fabio Fanini has a little extra rest against him? We're talking about Fabio Fanini versus Rafael Nadal at the French Open. Let's realize what we're talking about here. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that uh, I, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of this just has to do with the fact that he, you know, one of the things that Ernest Golbus brought up was that, okay, they're boring. And then, uh, you know, Federer responded, well, yeah, I guess I can see this is Federer shade, obviously. But yeah, I can guess I can see like what he means. I mean, you know, we have to answer the same questions all the time. He doesn't go have to do press that much. Yeah, which is definitely um, a backhanded thing. You can, you backhanded. can imagine Federer adding other things that we were talking about, saying, like, exactly. oh, he didn't have to do you know, press when he was pushed down to the Challengers Tour or he's in qualifying or whatever. So, you know, exactly. those are things Federer might have chosen. Federer Mad Libs. Anyway. If he, Federer Mad Libs, that'd be an amazing game. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, you know, Federer says, you know, yeah, I mean, he doesn't get asked all the same questions all the time, which is totally true. Um, and so I feel like with Rafa, he took like a seven-month break and didn't have to answer questions about his daily habits and things. And just, man, he had some stuff like pent up that he needed to get out. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. And I, I you know, like, think... it's still kind of, not that it's new to him, but it's still a little bit like, it, 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 he was away from it for a good amount of time. It's not as annoying to be in press. And I will say also that he is kind of a bit more subdued in press these days. I mean, ne- body language wise and everything, he just seems a bit more negative than he used to be. Yeah, he, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't seem to like being there as much. No, he doesn't look like he wants to be there at all. I hope that, is... that on court somewhat, too. I don't think that he has the same sort of spark or, you know, freshness about this. Obviously, part of that comes with age. But, I mean, at least at this tournament, for sure, he doesn't look like he's enjoying himself, quote-unquote, on court at all. I think that a lot of that, I mean, I'm, I'm just pure speculation. I think that a lot of that is, like, kind of the lingering stress about his body and his injuries and all that sort of stuff. And he doesn't want to talk about it, so whatever. You don't have to talk about it, Rafa, but I can. You know, I mean, I think that there is kind of a lingering stress. Because he, he has not played well at this tournament whatsoever. He's no. lost two sets already to guys in Daniel Brand, Spartan Cleason, who are solid, unseated players, but really nothing... But, one that you expect uh, him to lose sets to. But perfect storm of a situation of like two guys who zoned for like a set, set and a half and cool conditions, cool heavy conditions, which are not good for Rafa, which he 
I was actually quite surprised as to how openly he admitted that in his press conference today, that he need, that he wants things to get hotter, that he doesn't like these conditions and can't play well in these conditions. So kind of the combination of the, with both those two things, I think, you know, you can get a set off Rafa, but, you know, neither of them got more than that. So yeah. And both, and Brands especially, Brands was in a second set tiebreak. He had a chance to really putting it all on the ropes. And that I think it was three love up in the tiebreak. Yeah, maybe. So rest of the way for the men, let's wrap up the men here. What do you, uh, what do you th- how do you think this tournament's going to shake out? We'll probably do, hopefully do one more episode before, you know, the mm-hmm. final round. But how do you see it? How do you handicap the field? Besides, I think we both said better. We think we'll make the final, but other than that, how about yeah, Nadal I think, versus Djokovic? Yeah, I mean, on Nadal, Nadal Djokovic, I feel as clairvoyant on that whole match now as I did before. I don't think that the way that Rafa is playing is any indicator as to how he will play against Novak, especially no. with the forecast showing that things will actually heat up. Not heat up, but warm up over the course of the next week and a half. So, you know, how he's playing now is just not how he's going to play next week. So I obviously still think that Rafa is a, is a favorite there. I mean, if there's going to be, you know, a freak cold snap or rain storm or something like that then maybe um i would kind of level things out a little bit but no i mean i don't I, on the men's side i don't i just don't really think anything's really changed or anything has happened to really change what i thought a week ago right i would agree with that i think that yeah nadal uh nadal obviously could lose to djokovic but and but i do think nadal needs to start getting through a couple of these matches in straight sets if he keeps dropping sets in the third and fourth round that's not going to bode well at all quite true he needs to get on the rails a little bit more Women time, just big picture stuff. I don't think, also like the men, I don't think anything necessarily has happened, quote unquote, mm-hmm. with women's field, except for maybe Lena losing, but I don't, to Bethany Maddox Sands, but I don't think that she was really in anybody's shortlist to win this tournament. Well, I think she so, had such a tough draw. I think yeah. you and I both kind of pointed that out, so we kind of dismissed her outright. So, what do you make of women who are left? How do you handicap the field? Obviously, Serena has been dominant, so I see absolutely no reason to change picks. I would sort of almost underline mine at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Serena's been incredible. Uh, really? She's only so, dropped six six games through three matches, and it's just been really calm and, and that really freaky Serena calm intensity thing that she's got going on these days. Nice. She's really rocking that. So yeah, so you know, again, nothing's changed. Maria's only played two matches she's gone through you know without incident vika got past a potentially tricky first round match against Vesnina, but Vesnina didn't show up yeah so so she's pretty much free and clear you know i don't know you give you give bartoli a chance to knock her out and then possibly in the fourth round bartoli versus vika yeah possible no, i don't think bartoli's been that good at all yeah no um, she hasn't been good but boy has she been entertaining she's been she's been hogging that stage like crazy. <laughs> oink oink we oink, love oink. you <laughs> So yeah, I I say you know Mary and I hope that your match against Schiavone, which I'm surprised it's not Chatrier Bartoli versus former champ. I hope that match lasts 17 hours. Yeah. Just, you keep doing you, Marion. Yeah. So I think that's basically on the women's side. It's a less less data there so far to really draw from in terms of their matches, except for Serena being great. Yep. One question that relates to the women we got from Mary McLeod, who asks us uh, about a first or sorry about a second round loser in this tournament. She asks us. Caroline Wozniacki, discuss. Courtney, discuss Caroline Wozniacki for me, please. Sure, I can discuss Caroline Wozniacki. You know, I think that this is, I've been a bit conservative in my view towards Caroline with respect to how 
quickly we should be pressing the panic button. So I think that generally speaking, people were kind of like really freaking out like earlier in the clay court season. And I was like, no. And then, you know, or, or even during the hard court season before Indian Wells, people were like, oh, what's going on with her? And I was like, ah, give her time. But with all due respect for to Boyana Jovanovsky, Caroline Wozniacki should not be losing to Boyana Jovanovsky twice on red clay ever. No. Ever. That should just not happen because Caroline should have, and we're used to seeing Caroline have, this kind of weird wazzy swagger where she yeah. believes that she's going to win that match and there's just no way and you are going to pry this match away from me from my cold dead hands. That was her best weapon by far. That's Absolutely. how she won matches and she just, that's not there anymore. And without that, it's she very, very straight exposed. Set-ed. She yeah. got straight setted by Jovanovski second, second round here. That's incredible. After a pretty solid win over Laura Robson in the first round too. Which says a fair amount about her uh, confidence now. It's that up and down. Yeah, I mean, I really thought that... I mean, I thought that she was going to get up for that Robson match anyway. I mean, I, So that wasn't a surprise. But yeah, it was a high profile. She got up and put the young Adidas Stella girl in her place. Yeah, I mean, I just... I think that now it's a little bit... It's more of a panic time. What Caroline needs... Well, all these quotes that have come out about Peter wanting to step down from the coaching helm. And that they're, look, they're actively looking for a coach are kind of interesting. I mean, I, I'll see, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. But at a minimum, she needs to do kind of what Miriam Bartoli did in, in hiring Thomas Jouet as a hitting partner slash co-coach, who she said he's not he's more than a sparring partner. He gives me tactics. We talk about everything. We are a team, the three of us, like her, her dad, and Thomas. And she's, she really digs like the positive vibe. I just think something needs to happen within Wozniacki's team to shake it up, yeah. you know, like for her to just hear a new voice, for somebody to come in to tell her, like, you're not good. I'm sorry, you're not. And have it not be her dad. Because I'm yeah. sure her dad is saying that. But she's probably, like any daughter, can, like, tune out your parents. <laughs> and she needs to say, you're playing terribly right now. But you were this great player. And there's no reason that should have changed. Yeah. And, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that she could definitely, if Peter wants to hang around as a figurehead and sort of know his limits, I think the model... He can be a Yuri. He can be a Yuri. Or he can honestly even be something of a later years in you know, Richard Williams type, you know, right. Richard, yeah, totally. Richard was there and was involved in practices and giving tips and stuff. But there were these hitting partners for both Venus and Serena mm-hmm. and same goes same with Richard and Orson to a degree where they were there and, you know, pro- providing emotional support, but a lot of the tactical stuff and the match prep stuff would be coming from their Sasha or uh, David uh, mm-hmm. Venus's hitting partner and Sasha for Serena. So, yeah, I think there's definitely models there they can use. Um, Caroline could do something, like, you know, like what Aga Redwanska did, obviously. She had great dividends when she replaced her coach. Mm-hmm. Um, that was much more of a sort of agitated uh, removal or change. Yeah. But, yeah, there's there's blueprints for her to use. And I definitely think she needs something. Maybe if you don't, you don't need to rush, you know, if Wimbledon doesn't go your way, whatever. It wasn't going to be your best tournament anyway. But by the U.S. hardboard swing, she needs, should have something in place. The same way that, you know, Lena did with Carlos Rodriguez last summer. Just get something in there. And it should be up and running by U.S. Open, and if not, then you know Asia and Australia. Just think long term. Get a get a good solid fix that will survive the storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, and, and she'll have some time, you know, because she's not going to do well on grass. Not she's really. not good on grass. And then there'll be a bit, a bit, a little bit of a break, you know, after the grass season until things get back to the North American hard courts, yeah. uh, where she should do well again. I mean, she should. It should be a good... Yeah, she's she's won uh, Canada. She's done decently in Cincinnati, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe, mm-hmm. Actually. Anyway, she's won New Canada. Haven. You New know, Haven. whatever. Obviously, New Haven, yes. Obviously. Although, she's not confirmed for New Haven. Really? Yeah. Drams. Can't imagine. The Wazi Open. If she loses both Copenhagen 
if she if she loses Copenhagen and declines New Haven in one year, I I don't know. That's sort of a that's a cry for help. If nothing else. It's tough. It's tough. Oh. But yeah, so that's Waz. I mean, it's hard because I don't. I probably don't think she's like a top five player, but I definitely don't think that she's like where she. I mean, she's definitely playing badly. There's no reason Duh. she shouldn't be having the results right now. Someone like a Kirilenko has, you yeah. know, someone who's just, I mean, that's maybe even lowballing a little bit because just of how much, well, how much better she's done. She could, I mean, Kerber, she could have Kerber results. There's no she could have Kerber that. results. Exactly. Yeah. She could be a sort of a five through eight type player. No problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she could very easily be an A-rad. Yeah. She could very easily be a number four. It's been a prolonged tumble and as it's been not fun to watch because, you know, the sport is, you know, whether you like her, or you don't like her, or you like her game, or you don't like her game, she's good for the sport. She is. And uh, so it's tough to kind of see her in need of drift towards irrelevance. And let's, you know, kind of in the same way, it's, it was tough for, um, for Ivanovich as well. Again, like her, hate her, like her game or not. She's good for, she's good for women's tennis for, for you know, obvious and non-obvious reasons. And, and Ivanovich hasn't gotten back, honestly. Mm-hmm. So she hasn't. So needs to not pull on Ivanovich. Harsh that it's Anna. We got a question. Actually, let's do a little. We hit this question very quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. Curtis asks us the question about Anna Ivanovich, actually, which is surprising. Curtis wants to know Aga has won six straight versus Anna, but every match has been relatively close and competitive. Will the seventh time be the charm for good old AI? Which always looks like Al when it's written. <laughs> it does. There, I will confess. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. Oh, about, about there the, are number, her Anna I? No, no, no. That sometimes on Twitter when I see the AI, I I start singing that um, Paul Simon song. Oh, absolutely. All the time. It, I start whistling it. Yeah. But anyways. You can call her Al if you want to. Yeah, you can call me Eddie. I can call you Al. All right. So so does I have a chance? That was a question. To, yeah. to flip this uh, head-to-head around? Yeah. You I picked her to make the semis, I remember. I know, I did. I, I picked her. I picked her to make the semis. I mean, I, I picked her to beat. I mean, I will admit, I didn't think Radvanska would still be around in the fourth in the fourth round. So I thought that she was going to crash out by the third. So yeah, so that's a bit surprising. But yeah, I mean, I think that she can. It's just I don't know anybody who watches on a play, whether a lot or a little. I mean, I think it's pretty evident that there there are some technical things that are an issue, but so much of it is belief. And I think she's got a few good wins under her belt here. I think that she feels like she's playing good tennis. I think that she's feeling better about things right now. So if she, it's all it comes down to whether or not she can believe. And if she believes, then she stays calm when she gets nervous. But when she... You're making her sound like Melanie Udan, by the way. Sorry. No one's photoshopped her into a drum set, though. That was pretty great. Thank you. We should tweet that picture from NCR because no okay. one can do what you're talking about. Yeah, sorry, inside joke. But yeah, so if she's confident, then she believes that she can win. And when she gets nervous, she doesn't get nervous. And if she's not confident, then when things get tight, she has doubts and all hell breaks loose and things fall apart technically and it's ugly. Yeah, I have a much less rosy view. I'd be very surprised if she beat Aga. I mean, beating a top four player, even if Aga is by far the runt of the top four at a slam it's just not something she's proven capable of doing anytime recently when's the last time she beat like a top eight seed at a slam lord if i know yeah i'm pretty might, sure it, it hasn't it, happened because i'm pretty she... sure it's like the 08 french open semi against Yankovic. yeah that's it and before that's that what... even it didn't happen a whole lot honestly i mean she did in australia beat venus i guess would have been top mm-hmm. eight that's probably it so yeah not a whole lot of track record for anna there unfortunately for her maybe maybe share poven 07 french going off the top of my head i probably some Ivanovich fans can correct me. I'm sure that all know. Oh, they, they will. They, they will. will. 
But uh, yeah, still I just, politely, I think, you guys. He's trying. I think that it's a huge jump for her to beat Aga, and if she beats Aga, which I give her, you know, a fifteen percent chance of doing. If she does do that, I don't think she's any shot against Arani because Arani is just solid. Arani's been solid, I have to say. Like I was a bit, I was a little surprised by how much she's kind of destroyed the field. She killed the sick today. Just okay. Here, this is what Arani did against Arantarus six one six two. Against Putin Siva, 6161. Against Lisicki today, what was that? Six Love, 64? I think so, yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, those are, I mean, those are, yeah, those are quality players. I mean, they can suck, but they are quality players. I mean, that's. Those are very legit players to play at those stages of the tournament. So, based off of what what I've seen from Irani, I would probably backtrack on my Anna would make the semis prediction, but I I still pick her to beat uh, Redmanska. Okay, well we, we we will see. We will reconvene in forty eight hours. Yeah, so I mean, Serena might be a guaranteed to win the tournament. But that doesn't mean we can't have you know some intrigue along the way. You have to have some side bets. You got to yeah, you absolutely. Really, you they have really... to have some parlays. You have to have like some stuff that like keep things interesting. Okay, let's let's go off of that unprepared. Courtney, bold prediction for the rest of the French Open. Tell me something that'll happen. Bold prediction for the rest of the French Open. I predict that Petra Kvitova makes the semifinals. Ooh, you think she beats uh, Maria? I'm I'm gonna. You want bold? That's good. I like I'm that. I'm gonna be bold. She's got a tough draw. She's got it. Jamie Hampton next round. That's easy. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't but her draw is me. Not, her draw is Don't tough. Be mean to me. She's got Jamie Hampton, and then she's got winner of Yankovic Toaster. That's hard. It's tough, but I feel like if she can get on a roll, that can happen, what I'm saying. Okay, that's fair. Do you have a separate one for the men, or no? Sure. Um, for the men, I will say that, oh my gosh, I just I was like, oh my gosh, what if Tommy Haas makes the semis? <laughs> he could. Beat Isner, beat Djokovic. Oh, beating Djokovic, that'd be a big ask. It would be, but you know. Okay, that's fine. That's a good answer. No, I mean, I, it was just one that just popped out of my head when I saw it was, like, perusing the draw. You stick to that one? No, I'll stick to that. Okay. Why not? Like, a bold one. Like, usually when I make my actual predictions, they're well-reasoned and rational and this, have statistics. This is a total, and... total inebriated pick we want here. Okay. You are at the moment. But we want something that's, you know, wild and dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's more wild and dangerous than picking Sangha to beat Fed, which I think could actually happen. My pick, my bold prediction would be Sangha mm-hmm. to make the final. Okay. Um, I think Sangha has a very good chance of beating Federer, and I like his chances of beating Ferrer. He's now going to vulture his way out of that section, as they say. With <laughs> such disdain, and you're dripping from your so voice. I think, I think Sangha will be the first Frenchman in the final in a very long time in Paris. I don't know if it's happened since Yannick Noah. Off the top of my head. I don't think it's not Frenchman. Yeah, I don't know if anybody lost in the final in the 90s or something. I don't think so. Yeah, so that's my bull prediction for the men, Sangha in the final. And for the women, um, my bold prediction you know what i'll say i just this is again this is a not reliable pick but i will say that sam stoser makes the final Ooh. i kind of like stoser to get through uh yankovic i think she'll get through yankovic and i think she can get through petra mm-hmm. and i don't know what the head-to-head is like i know stoser's big on head-to-heads but i think on clay that's a pretty good matchup for sam and then uh, i think she can beat maria if maria has an off day i think sam's the kind of game that can disrupt maria on clay they've had some pretty decent clay matches in the past and so uh yeah i'll pick uh, pick Sam. All right. So that's, that's Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. Oi. That was a seriously oi pick more than Ozzy. <laughs> I was like, oi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I feel like my bold pick is always going to be Petra to win the whole thing at any tournament. That's just going to be my bold pick from now on. I wrote it, I think, today in a, in a piece where I said, I'm intentionally ignoring her at the French Open simply because I don't know how to say 
she's talented enough to win any tournament that she enters and inconsistent enough to lose to a lucky loser double bagel in the first round. But like, I genuinely believe that she can win regardless of form. She can win any tournament. So because that's in the back of my head all the time, I'm always like tempted to write her into the semis all the time. Yeah, that's totally fair. I think it would take a lot for her. I think it would take a lot for her to beat Serena if they meet in the final. Oh, for sure. That would be a big effort, but just pushed her in a few other matches, so wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world, especially if Serena gets some Paris final nerves. Solid, solid stuff. I'm always pro back. I think Serena also really respects Petra's power. Yeah, she does. You can tell. Yeah, you can tell. She's like, holy crap, she can hit the ball like I hit the ball. Second to last question we'll do from Ova Fanboy, who asks us, who has been the most impressive youngster at this tournament, ATP or WTA? You gotta pick court. Youngster? ATP or WTA. You can define youngster however you want to define youngster. Yeah. Well, I don't think that Dimitrov is actually... I mean, he's into the third round, which is great. He isn't beaten. But I don't think he's really beaten anybody. So I guess I'd have to say Puig. Okay. It's got to be Pika Power all the time. 19 years old, from Puerto Rico. Kind of a big deal in Puerto Rico, in case you guys haven't heard. Ricky Martin is kind of a fan. Ricky Martin is kind of a fan. She gets tweets from the governor and stuff. Or governor? Governor. They have a governor. President? Governor? Whatever. But yeah, first round win over Nadia Petrova. Yeah, very solid. Solid, solid. And she fought. I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't one of those complete Nadia implosions. It was a little bit Nadia implosion. Nadia left her little room and she went there and took it. Exactly. I mean, she was solid and, and hit really well. And then she beat uh, Madison Keys as well. A lot of people didn't see that coming. I, think I saw that one coming. I know. I'm, I'm talking about a lot of people. Not the enlightened us. Obviously. <laughs> I'm talking about them, not us. And yeah, so I think that we both saw Puig in Charleston, you know, and she got a pretty couple good wins in Estoril. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, she's going to be a thing. Get ready for it. Pika Power is going to be a thing. Get ready for Monica Puig. Um, Get, and that. just There's a whole lot there's a lot there. There's a lot there. So that's for her. That's pretty good. Um, I have two picks. Both of mine are men. First one is Nick Kyrgios, mm. who lost good the second call. round, but got a big win uh, over Roddick Stepanek. He's only 18, Nick Kyrgios, and that's a tough guy to get your first slam win over. Cause Nick Stepanek Kyrgios, too, is huge. Big guy. He is a big boy. Like, he is tall and rangy, and as he grows into that body, he's going to be strong, like, roundage I, I was very impressed with him. I didn't see that match. I don't think that match was televised. Maybe it was. Anyway, I didn't watch it. And the other one, I'm going to give a small shout-out to Ryan Harrison. Oh, A big step forward at this tournament. <laughs> it was very sad when he lost, clearly, which is fair. He lost 8-6 in the fifth to Isner in a match that I watched the entire thing of. Gave the break away on a double fault. Yeah, although that was, like, the 10th break point he'd face in that, in that fifth set so True. i mean he was you know i kind of give him a pass when it's number 10 it's not like you you know face one point and you choked he had a lot of big points before that to save it and so he had nine break points that he saved before he finally double faulted on a 10th which you know obviously you don't want to double fault but that was solid and also good on isner for winning a five setter even if it is over the number 92 rank guy because you needed that john because that was that was so much more mental than physical because physically he's fine but he could just see like he played as he, really as he well. Kept blowing those break points, he just had this look of like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. You know, he sees his, he sees his mahout flashing before his eyes, and it's just it's not what you want to see. But no, Isner played well. I mean, in those last that was three a, that sets, was a quality he match. Well, it really was on both sides. It really, really was. America. Yeah. As they say. And I will um, give if I since I couldn't have Dimitrov, I will pick as my uh, youngster impressed me guy. That's not a sentence. Those were just words that I threw out there sure. <laughs> as as Jack Sock. Okay, 
Yeah, solid. Uh, mainly not because of his win over Guillermo Garcia Lopez, not because he acquitted himself well against Haas, but because he played three qualifying matches, yeah. got in on his own merits, and was able to accomplish that. Like the qualifying, because he's a guy who, you know, he's been given so many wild cards. So I think that there is a part of me that thinks sometimes that he's a bit soft. And yeah, and that's not just you. That is a, I can say that's a common industry perception. Right. In the locker room, that people think he's gotten way too coddled. Right. So for him to kind of show that he could do that on a surface that maybe isn't one that he's the most, you know, that familiar with, to come over and to do it that way, because that was a good showing by him. So kudos to Jack Sock. Although, dude, Chipotle? Dude, I don't even like France, okay? And I don't like, I don't get along in Paris, but I would never. I would never. <laughs> I would never hop in a cab every single night and go to freaking Chipotle in Paris. It's, the cab that is part is what got me about that story. Like, not only is it Chipotle, it's, it's like not a, outside his Chipotle, apartment. Yeah. like, across it's like town. Go. Yeah, so, I mean, he has this thing. Whatever. I mean, I, I give him a shtick. He needs a shtick. Okay, everybody three. needs a shtick, but can we just say that Ryan Harrison is killing it with the, the America hashtag? Ryan Harrison has had a solid... I feel like Ryan Harrison sort of has um, loosened the leash he keeps around himself to a degree. Yeah, I think there's uh, something to that. And just sort of had a little more fun and been a little bit more of a young guy instead of trying to be an impressive young man all the time. Which I think he really, you know, was trying. And I think he still does maybe get into that mode and press still. But being a little bit more acting his age in a, in a fun way. That's good. Act your age. It's okay. Act your America flag fly. Exactly. He's like Toby Keithing it like no business in Paris. It's phen- it's phenomenal. Last question that we got. It's just sort of a reference, actually. It's from Rob Shu, who wants to ask, comes paraphrase, about Anastasia Rodianova, <laughs> who playing doubles. Really, she should not be a story this tournament, but Anastasia Rodianova is in the doubles draw with uh, Ala Kujatsova. And they were scheduled to play the 12th seeded Williams sisters in the first round. And then Venus had to withdraw. And she withdrew about 8 p.m. or so Paris time a couple days ago. And at about 8.10, Rodinova sent a tweet that said, like, just got the best news ever. And then I saw shortly after that Venus had withdrawn and they got to walk over to the next round. They didn't get a replacement, which I'm kind of surprised about. They just got to walk over. And so it was very clear what Rodinova was tweeting about. And then someone asked her, what she was tweeting about they said oh you got a walkover and she replied good guess winky face and uh so i you know rt with a quote just thinking it was funny how excited rodianova was to be uh how excited rodianova clearly was to have been spared annihilation at the hands of the land sisters pointed that out and then she deleted one of her tweets and said that very bad of me to not check my facts and get it so wrong because actually a friend of hers had just gotten engaged or something so that's not what happened. <laughs> end of story. <laughs> I don't know. Is that the end of the story, though, Ben? Is it? I think the story's fine ending there. I felt like I ended it fairly easy. I, I, have, I have nothing but love for Anastasia Rodinova. I mean, she's been, been such a value add in her section of the rankings. Has, so has she responded to your tweet back to her, pointing out the deleted tweet? No. No, she hasn't. Well, that's, that's disappointing. I know. It kind of ended the saga there. but uh, Well, that's what it. happens when you go nuclear. And you, like, use facts. I don't think that Rodeo likes that. That's probably a little harsh to whip out, whip out my facts. Yeah. You gotta work in the land of fiction. <laughs> fiction fa- and fairy tales. Her level a little bit. Yeah, I should have deleted some tweets and said, oh, I'm not even a, you know, a reporter. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I never tweeted that. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, we wish her all the best in double draw. She actually had a very convincing second round win over some not great team so you know making some money moving up in the world good for Allah big fan of Allah Kujatsova she's a good talker so uh 
happy to see her keeping herself afloat on tour. About it. Anything you want to add? Do you have any friends who got engaged recently or anything that I should know about? I did not get anybody or know anybody yeah, who not. got engaged, sadly. Hope well, people you just, do. You just can't get the greatest news ever like Anastasia Rodinova then, I guess. I can't live the life, the glamour life that Anastasia Rodinova leads. It makes me sad every day. I cry a little bit. Yeah. It's tough. It's a tough burden. You should see her. You should come out to a uh, Castles match with me sometime this summer. <laughs> Watch her in her element there. Yeah. Well, she's not, I just guess playing doubles this year because they got Hingis on the team. Hingo. Hingis will be playing singles over Rodinova, I'm pretty sure. And then uh, she'll be playing doubles, maybe. Yeah, probably not even mixed. They'll play, I think it's playing mixed. So she'll just play women's doubles, and it'll be a good time for her. She's one of the uh, part of the streak. She's actually fairly... And Arena, too. Big Rodionova sisters. Uh, I'm I'm good buddies with Arena Rodionova. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah? We hit together. Oh, that's right. You did. Yeah. You, you actually like hit a winter passer, didn't you? I did. I hit a winter passer. Or it was like a ball that she couldn't get back or something. Exactly. You made exactly. an error. Not a technical winner. No, <laughs> it's it just... More she... of an unforced error. It could have been a forced error, actually, because like you hit the ball so short. I think it did. I don't think she was ready for that at all. And, and she like ran forward and like hit it out. You provoked that, so good on you. Damn straight, I did. To win one, Rodino Sisters. Well, actually, she won a whole lot more points against you that day, but we'll she did. That. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy the second half of the French Open. Bonsoir, as they say. I hey, will catch you later. Later, yos. If you'll be my bodyguard, I can be all on. I can call you daddy